Things are going extraordinary, to say the very, very least, in what is missions. I remember a few months ago, everybody got excited because there was some type of a revival thing happening at a college or whatever, and it was all over social media. But folks, for years, I've been talking to uh, businessmen, companies, churches, individuals, and saying there is a revival happening on a global scale. I sat in my truck with an Iranian man and watched him accept Christ. I hear of other people around the world in some of the most difficult nations accepting Christ. And when a North American meets an Iranian in Nicaragua and and, uh, that man accepts Christ, things are getting weird. And then this video that was just put out a few months ago through the efforts of people like, uh, like your pastor, Dwayne Hoffman, Mike Knapper in Africa, Mark Carter, our executive director, working throughout Asia and what we're doing in Latin America and the Caribbean. We can't even keep the video up to date. It's constantly changing. Now it's 34 countries, 180 projects. And I remember when Mark and I were first starting this thing and, and he said, hey, would you come on the board? And I was in Nicaragua and uh, what do I offer a bunch of businessmen? They're smarter than me. But I understood the how, how to send money internationally and to send it to international missions organizations and, and not get ripped off. And to, to remember those conversations and, and, and think, hopefully this year, we can build three, maybe up to five church facilities around the world. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, in the last 18 months, Like I said, revival is happening. Churches are being planted. People are getting saved by the tens of thousands around the world. And something extraordinary happened with Trailhead International. In the last 18 months, through some kind of miracle that's unexplainable, through multiple donors, we've we've been able to see over 100 church facilities funded on a global scale. There's a revival. For the 2022 year in 2021, I decided to do what, what we refer to as kind of the Sears catalog of church planting. Every time I flip a page, it's somewhere around the world, on some continent, in some country, where some pastor is just crushing it for the gospel's sake. And we're saying, you know what? If he is under a tree and in the mud and he has all these people and they don't even have a place of dignity to worship, how about we come along, we get together as the church, and we fund it, and we get them into a facility, and when we do that, we watch those churches double and triple in size. You see, God will use all kinds of amazing different things. When I went to the mission field, I don't know how it was for you when you went there, and when I went there, I didn't know what I was doing. You see, you go to Bible college, you go on deputation, you do all this talking, And then you find yourself on the mission field, and you're like, okay, I have no idea what we're going to do. So I defaulted to what I knew. I had boxed, golden gloves. I ran into a guy by the name of Alexis Arguello. For any boxing fans, real boxing fans, you'd know he would be considered one of the top five fighters, especially out of Latin America, in the history of boxing. And he became my friend. You see, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1994. He later became the mayor of Managua. And a church planter goes out to eat with a man 
who has no idea about church planting. He's a professional athlete. And we're out, to, out for lunch one day, and he said, you know what the problem with pastors and missionaries are that come to my country? And I'm like, oh, tell me. Because I figured knowing his personality, he was going to tell me anyway. But he said something that was just full of common sense, and it kind of just changed the direction of our ministry permanently. He said, the problem with missionaries and pastors that come to my country is they come, they plant a church, they expect people to come knocking on their door asking about Jesus, but they never step, their, step a foot out of the property. He said, the youth of our country, the youth of Nicaragua, and really honestly, folks, the youth of everywhere in the world are not going to come knocking at your door asking you about Jesus. He said, get out of your churches, get out of your properties, go into the neighborhoods, and reach the kids through sports. And I thought, well, that's typical. An athlete's going to say that's the, that's the technique. So what is today in three continents in multiple nations around the world known as Avance Sports International started in Nicaragua in a neighborhood called San Juan, one of the roughest, most difficult neighborhoods, and I was pastoring a church just six blocks from the fight club. So the next thing I know, and I hadn't even started the church yet, we were just in the process of the launch, the next thing I know, I'm a fight promoter. I'm on national TV promoting fights. We're sponsoring fight nights in the local clubs. And what started out as fight nights in the local clubs exploded into planting churches all throughout Nicaragua. Now, we're an extension of what is Familia Avance Costa Rica. That's my in-laws. They launched that years ago. But now we're in Costa Rica, Cuba, Nicaragua, Panama, and like your pastor just explained, we're sending a Nicaraguan pastor to launch Familia Avance Belize, a church planting effort in a country that our family's ministry has never worked in. But today there's over 70 churches, a hospital, a Christian academy, two seminaries, two camps, feeding programs, sports throughout those countries, and just with our family ministry alone, over 30,000 people have been impacted. Then along comes Trailhead. And it takes what was already good, like Mike Knapper's ministry in Africa, what was already good, what was already flourishing, and talks to people, and people say, you know what, I'll give to that. I can give to build churches. And have you noticed lately in the last few years what was already beautiful with Mike Knapper has exploded exponentially? It's amazing what just a little brick and mortar can do in some of these countries. I challenge you to take one of these bricks. We build buildings, so they're stress bricks. You squish them, right? throw them at your husband, whatever you want to do. Watch a football game, throw it at the TV. won't break the TV, I hope. And it says, Trailhead International, Brian, we just pray. Pray for more people to give, more people to get involved, more success on the mission field, more revival, and to build more churches. You see, we just keep it real simple, folks. We build churches. That's our core value of Trailhead International. That's been the core value of our family ministry before then. Build churches. 
Finding those churches, those congregations with a good, solid missionary, with a good, solid pastor. With a congregation under the trees and in the mud, just like the one we're building right now, and I just got more money this weekend, and it's going to happen. And there's a Haitian church in the Dominican Republic, literally under the trees, in the mud, in borrowed locations, anywhere they can, running over 200 people, and they don't even have a facility, but they will real soon. In fact, in June, we're closing the deal. You see, that's what we're doing with Trailhead International. But look in the book of 2 Kings chapter 13 this morning. And the story of Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going to focus on verses 14 through 19. You see the on the screen. You see a picture of the next slide is my wife and I. You see, we grew up in two different worlds. I grew up with an Italian Catholic godfather in a bar, and most most of my my formative years were in a bar or a bell bonding company, or my father in law's Chrysler dealership, things of that nature. I grew up in that world. My wife was born and raised in Costa Rica. She's a Costa Rican citizen. Her parents have been missionaries there for over 50 years. God brought two different people from two different walks of life, long story, to do his work around the world. And the next slide. I love our phrase, you can't change the whole world, but you can change someone's world. How to live committed to the cause of Christ. Folks, that's what you're doing here launching a church in Rogersville, Missouri, you're being committed to the cause of Christ. And you know what? I speak in churches that have been going for decades that run 50 people. They run a few hundred people. I was just in a church that runs 7,000 people just a couple weeks ago. There's nothing more exciting to me than when I get to speak at a church plant. You are the seed of something that can be extraordinary. Remember these days. Take pictures in here. Take pictures in front of those little floppy signs because one day you'll have a permanent sign. Remember where you started. This is exciting stuff, and it may be exciting, and you don't even realize it. One day, some of you may even miss unloading the trailer. A church plant is exciting. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die... Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. So you're thinking there for a moment, he's sad because he's losing a friend. You'll find out that's really not what he's weeping about. He's, he's losing his lucky rabbit foot, his genie in the lamp. That's how we treat God sometimes. You see, he wasn't connected to God, but he was connected to somebody connected to God. And the guy connected to God was kind of the genie in the lamp, and he needed him around. Verse 15, and Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. 
And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Now when my wife, my wife reads to me when we're going down the road, it's a thing. I don't need an audio book, I have Rachel Wheat. She's reading this and I'm like, okay, so what? But the next verse here is the shocker. And there was even a book written a few years ago about this text in the Bible. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, okay, wait a minute. He did what he said, right? He picked up the arrows, he shot the arrows, and all of a sudden this guy's mad at him. You know, I mean, is this guy unstable? What's his problem? How come he gets mad? Is he just one of those angry little elves? You know, what, what, what's this guy's problem? Well, it says here, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now, you will strike down Syria only three times. So he did what he was told, but he really didn't go all in. Sometimes a little bit like Christianity. We'll do the bare minimum, but we're just kind of not all in. You jo Joash seemed to, to lack the motivation to go all the way. So he only gets three wins against the enemy instead of taking them out and getting the full victory out of the deal. Doesn't sound fair that the king's destiny and blessing is only partial because of some arrows. But his commitment was only partial, so his results are only partial. Seems like no big deal, but it was a huge deal. Joash only hitting the ground three times and stopping, let's put it another way. He quit. He stopped short. The king wasn't committed, but maybe we aren't either. It's always time to do a little self-evaluation of where we are with the Lord. Since he wasn't rooted, he lost his impact. You quit and your impact and significance is over. What does this mean for us, for missions? What does this story help us to see, to be committed? To go all in. To not just shoot three arrows, but empty the whole quiver. So what's in this story for me? Don't quit now on God. That's what's in this story for me. Don't quit now on missions. The church... Don't quit now on the church. And the church, don't quit on missions. Global missions. What is the church doing globally? I was just shocked at how people were so excited about one revival movement of some weird sort in a college somewhere. And it was like nobody was noticing what's happening in the Middle East. Nobody's taking note of the revival happening even in Mike Knapper's ministry in Africa or what's happening with Familia Avance in Latin America. Folks, there's been a revival happening for a long time. You just don't get to see it next door always. But I'll tell you, get ready. Tighten your belts because this is a church plant and this is where the fun can start if the congregation stays all in. All in for missions, but all, all in here. It's your Jerusalem. You see, Rogersville, this is your Jerusalem. How can we remain committed till the end? How can we remain focused till the end? By committing to the cause. You see, years ago, I decided to quit vision casting and start again 
in my mindset of, vis- of not vision casting, but cause casting. I don't have to cast a vision when God has already cast the cause. And Jesus spoke it in his last words, and as a leader, he must have thought it was pretty important if the last thing he wanted to say before he took off for a couple thousand years was the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. When a leader takes off, and I've read every stinking leadership book you can imagine, the best leadership book you'll ever read is the Bible. The second one is one called 12 Ordinary Men where it talks about the leadership of Jesus. And when a leader takes off and he's talking to his leadership team, he's going to central theme it if he's a decent communicator and he's gonna say, this is what I want you to accomplish in my absence. That's what Jesus did. This is what you, I want you to accomplish for the next couple thousand years. And who is the leadership team of Jesus? all of us because we're Christians. It's not just 12, or not just those three within the 12. It's kind of what the book 12 Ordinary Men talks about. No, it's all of us. So how to live committed to the cause of Christ? Number one, believe in God's power. You see, I did this years ago. Again, I don't come from the same background my wife came from. So I I was learning. When I went to Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, I'd quit a cycling team, went and talked to my pastor, said, God's calling me into ministry. He's thinking, whatever, I'm sure. And then he said, okay, come forward next week, tell the church on Sunday during the altar call. I'm like, okay, I get the gig. You're going to sing this Just As I Am thing. Um, I'm going to come forward. And then I'm going to make this announcement. Okay. So I did that. He goes, okay, now I I hand out, now now I write this letter of recommendation for the Bible College. Understand where I came from. As far as I knew, Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri was the only Bible college on planet Earth. So if my pastor said, that's where you go, that's where you go. I'm called, let's do this. So I get this book about this prayer of Jabez like 20 some years ago. And I'm like, this guy prayed that God would expand his territory, which meant to expand his impact. Boom, here's the secret. So before I ever landed in Nicaragua, God, expand my territory. I never thought I'd be a global missionary, which is in essence what Trailhead International does, global missions. That's a big expanse of your territory. And in two weeks, I get to go back where it all began for us in Nicaragua and speak at the 20th anniversary of the official launching of our international NGO approved by the Nicaraguan government. It's going to be pretty fun. Believe in God's power. Believe he'll expand your territory. He'll expand your impact as a church, as an individual. Have full buy-in. Jabez and Elisha are stories of men that believe in God's power. This organization, Trailhead International, started just a few years ago. Like six years ago, we actually started really seeing some momentum. There's like three churches we're building. That's 180 projects in 34 countries, folks. That's only by God's power. I'm not that smart. Mark Carter is not that smart. You're smarter than both of us put together, I think, but even you are not smart enough to pull that off. That's God's stuff. That's God's power. Number two, believe in God's calling us to do more. Look at verse, thir- uh, look at verse 14. Now, Elijah had fallen sick with the illness 
of which he would die. Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, oh man, the, the enemies around me, what are we going to do? Well, it's easy. With God's power, don't worry about it. With God's power, you get 14 acres across here from a church plant. With God's power, the contractors will get the information in. You'll get some bids. And with God's power, you're going to come up with the money. And with God's power, you're going to build facilities. And with God's power, you're going to reach thousands of people. And that may be right here, but if you're involved in missions, trust me, you're reaching thousands of people because with Familia Avance alone, that's 30,000. Trailhead alone, that's 30,000. And only God knows what is happening with Mike Knapper in Africa. It seems like he's everywhere. God is omnipresent. Mike Knapper's kind of omni-Africa. Believe in God's calling us to do more. You see, that's what verse 14 tells me because Elisha believed in God's power. The king was not connected to God, so he connected himself to somebody else who was connected to, to the power. Why look for somebody else to be connected to, to God? Be connected to God yourself. Joash wasn't weeping the coming loss of Elisha. Joash was crying over the loss of his protector, his genie in the bottle, his lucky rabbit foot, his dirty jersey that he never washes or the chiefs lose. It was literally like he had some kind of a little lucky thing going on. As long as he had him around, he was connected to God. But the moment he thought he was going to lose his protector, he begins the little crybaby meltdown. You don't have to look for somebody else to be connected to God. You go to God in the name of Jesus, and you accept him as your Savior. He forgives you of your sins. You have the Holy Spirit that indwells in you and lives through you and does amazing things through you. And then the church combined does amazing things into the community and throughout the world. That's how the system of God works. But Joash, see, he was losing the person connected to the power. Self-evaluate, folks. Have I only shot three arrows? Am I only partially connected to God? Have I only shot three arrows? Am I doing the bare minimum as a Christian? It's easy to do that. You see, in school I never had to study. Even in college, it drove my wife nuts. She would study for hours upon hours upon hours. I was the one that would say, oh, there's a test tomorrow? And we would get the same grade. Academics, honestly, I did, if you said it, I heard it. If you, if you put it on a test, I remembered it and could answer it. Praise God. It made school so easy. Christianity is the same way. You accept Christ, you got your ticket into heaven. There's really no commitment required. We don't do what the Jehovah's Witness do and tell you if you don't uh, you know, spend 11 billion hours as a group uh, doing visitation, you don't get to go to heaven. We don't do what others do. If you don't have these special gifts and do these special things, then, then, then you don't go to heaven. No, no, we're biblicists, and we know that by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it, but it's the gift of God. 
that gives us this eternal life. So really, at the end of the day, we're not required to do a whole lot of committing. We just get a ticket to heaven and we're in. That's a bummer. I'm not going to challenge God's decision making. But sometimes I wish he'd be like, you know what? If you're going to go around through Christian life like that, I'm changing the rules. You don't get to go to heaven. You don't get to go to heaven. You don't get to, yeah, you don't want me there. We want full-on committed people for the sake of the gospel to take this church, one community, to the next level. To reach Missouri, to reach the Midwest, to reach the world. Full committed, full throttle, all in. Verses 15 through 17 are very interesting. Believe in the Great Commission. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. So he kind of listens. Oops, I want those flying out. He kind of listens and he kind of gets involved and he kind of does what he said and he said okay so I'm supposed to grab my arrows and I'm supposed to grab one and I'm supposed to open a window and I shoot it now I can see this king going whatever here we go with this illustration stuff again we're getting a visual and he must have just done it kind of halfway and shot it out the window When you get saved, you get excited. You've seen like where people get excited for like six months, they're like jazzed out of their mind. They're like stoked about their Christianity. But after six months, it's like they're kind of like okay-ish about it. And then we kind of settle in and we become bench warmers, not fully committed, but we're there. We may tithe. We may give a little. We may serve on occasion. But it's just we just kind of toss the arrow out there and, Okay, I did my thing. Give of your time, your efforts, your life. Be willing to say, God, if you'll call me into full-time Christian service, I'll do that. You see, I understand the business world. I also understand the ministry world. And I promise you this, the business world makes more money than the Christian world. But I've prayed my daughter's entire lives that they would be faithful to God and with a little bit of a, a parentheses, God, and if you'll, if you'll prepare him for ministry. My first one graduated from Bible college, was married to the, one of the pastors at Antioch. My second one graduates this week from Baptist Bible College there in Springfield, Missouri, because I convinced her it's only, it's only Bible college on planet Earth too. And she's already got a job off in Albuquerque. Our third one wants to be a missionary. For me, that's win-winner, winner-winner, chicken dinner. Are they going to be wealthy? Probably not. Are they going to be the, on the front lines of service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the creator of all that we know? Absolutely. And to do anything less for them would be a fail. In fact, if they were to become the president of a nation, it would be less than working for the King of Kings. Verses 18 through 19. 
It says here, and this is where it gets a little sad. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck them three times. Okay, I'll pull my arrows out. One. All right, threw another one out. I hit the ground again. All right, I'm doing what you're saying. It's a little weird, but we're just going to throw arrows out the, out the window. And he's just kind of, you know, chucking them. It says, you have, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you only strike down Syria only three times. What is going on here? Well, he was halfway. He kind of did it, but he kind of didn't. What's the problem? Why did the man of God, the prophet of God, get ticked off? I mean, it's so weird to read this story, and you're like, why is he mad? Because he still had something to give. He was just kind of doing it halfway. You see, just like how I could do academics, I didn't really have to study, and I could still pass. Or I could just flip through the notes, and I could still pass, no problem. We pass through Christianity like that, unfortunately, where we're like, okay, God, what's the bare minimum I can do to be like okay-ish with you and okay-ish in the church and okay-ish with the kingdom? Don't be okay-ish, be all in, full in, full throttle, all out for the gospel's sake. I learned a lot of things in the boxing ring as a youth. You don't go all in against the other guy. Trust me, that guy only wants to knock your head off your shoulders. It's all in or you're going to get a beat down. Live life like that. The get after it mentality. The all in mentality. The shoot all your arrows for the kingdom mentality. You see here, we build buildings like this. Believe in God's call to do more. There it is. Now you go to the next slide. And then they fill it with youth. And then the next thing you know, you got a couple of thousand youth running through your program when you used to be excited when your youth department had 30. That's why we build these facilities. And then you go to the next slide. And you have young ladies like that who have rotten parents who don't want anything to do with the gospel, who are basically left on their own who come to your sports program, then end up here in your church, and now she's one of our Sunday school teachers and going into full-time Christian service and will be in our seminary. Is it worth it? It's all about knowing Jesus. That's why we do sports. It's not about sports. You know, here's the secret. We have the largest sports ministry in all of Central America, and I don't even really like soccer that much. Secret though. But I love when people come to Jesus. I love when kids come to church and teens come to church and their parents come to church and they come to know Jesus. Number three, believe in the Great Commission. You see, we have leadership all over the country and we have a Christian school that we thought, why not? Let's start a Christian school. And we started, now that Christian school runs over 300 and is impacting the children of an entire city. And this couple right here, they're from one of the roughest neighborhoods you can ever imagine. You would be afraid to walk around in the daytime and be around those neighborhoods. And yet, he's a pastor today because he came to the church through Avance Sports, the church that I planted and pastored. Mailing came to the church from a rough neighborhood. 
But I tell people when you're about to go into a meeting with mailing, understand you will no longer be the smartest one in the the room. Mailing is smarter than everybody. That's why she's also the director of our seminary and the legal representative for our operations in Nicaragua from the hood. Because somebody supported us as missionaries. We went to the mission field. Churches got planted and somebody gave to be able to build facilities and reach people like Norland and Mailing. And they go up near the Honduran border and, and start a church that started a Christian school. Believe in the Great Commission. Give. Number four, believe you can ruin that purpose. Next slide. That, 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 go back one slide. This property just got purchased in Panama for $150,000 three days ago. Because somebody gave to Trailhead to make that happen. Another church of a couple hundred people, he's Panamanian, she's Costa Rican, they graduated from the seminary, went back to Panama, launched a church, and those that gave, that, uh, gave to Trailhead can basically celebrate a brand new church facility. Things are expensive in Panama, God gives even good deals. $150,000 in Panama is a But I look at these and I think you can ruin your God-given purpose. What if we don't do this? What if we don't go all in? Sports fans, November 20th, November 25th, 1980, what happened? Sports fans. I've already given you a little bit of a secret. You know what my, my sport is, my favorite sport. November 25th, 1980, Sugar Ray Leonard versus Roberto Duran II. You know what's famous about that fight? That's when Roberto Duran was getting a beatdown by Sugar Ray Leonard. And instead of staying in the fight, he yells out those famous words in Spanish, no mas. Now the translation of no mas is real simple. It simply means no more. In boxing, you know what that really means? One of the greatest, considered one of the greatest fighters ever, yells out, I quit. Professional fighter, I quit. No moss, no more, I quit. I'm throwing in my own towel. Maybe it was a smart choice, but I don't think I would do that. In fact, I was getting a beat down one time, and I took the beat down instead we would do these things called after night's fistfights. I understand I wasn't always a pastor. People would throw down money. We would have to after, after night's fistfights. And I was getting a beat down. I chose to take the beat down rather than to quit. Don't quit on God. Don't quit on the church. Don't be a quitter. You see, when you get involved in the ministry and these things start happening over and over and over and over, people are getting saved. People are getting rescued from hell. They need you and they need you to remain faithful. We can't stop until God is finished. When we die, let us die with an empty quiver. Take every skill you've got. Take every ability you've got. Take your time and your finances and you just throw them all. You say, God, it's all yours. Give it all to the king of kings. 
The phrases, you can't take it with you, that's pretty simple. You can't take it with you. Your portfolio means nothing in heaven. That starts with us Christian families, leaders of families. We must carry the light. And as the band comes forward, give it all till God calls you home. You see the soldier's creed in Latin America that we wrote I am a soldier of God. I exist to bring honor and glory to God. The colors of the cross are what I wear as my flag in the battle. I'm a soldier today and forever. I will have success in the battle. As a soldier, I will confront the enemy with the face of Christ. I will not rely on myself, nor in my abilities, nor in my own strengths. I will only rely in the power of God that acts in my life. I will fight the spiritual war for the honor of Christ. I will fight for the reputation of the Holy Spirit, my mind belongs to the King. During times of rest, I will remain submissive to God and those that God has put over me. I will respect those spiritual leaders that God has put in my life. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I will guard it inside and out. I will not allow anything to enter my mind that doesn't glorify God. My sweat is an offering for the Lord. My pain is a sacrifice for my Savior. I will give my all. I will not quit. I'm a soldier, the special forces of God. I'm a soldier by conviction. I must finish the war with my head held high in honor of the king. The results of my efforts must have an impact for the kingdom of God. To the battle, let the glory be given to God. That is the soldier's creed that gets read to those entering our seminary in Nicaragua. And what you're doing, you're no longer a soldier of the cross. You have chosen to be the special forces of the cross. Church, let's be the special forces of the kingdom of God. Thank you.